Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I have some amazing news. We just surpassed 1 million downloads to the podcast, which I never ever imagined would happen. And that's thanks to you. I just really appreciate your support. I talked about this last week, but if you are new to the podcast and you haven't gone back to listen to our first episodes, my first episodes where I was in my basement crying into a microphone, you may want to start with past episodes and move forward, or you might not, but you'll hear a definite difference in my voice and my confidence level. And it's, you know, amazing to have this real time example of walking out of the fog of abuse and learning to be confident again and having that peace and that hope and that safety. And I'm so, so grateful for my journey. I'm also grateful and a little bit embarrassed that I documented it. Uh, some of the episodes are, uh, I don't know, raw or a little bit embarrassing. Also, I've learned so much on this journey. My views have evolved and my understanding of this has evolved over time and I'm aware that I continually don't know what I don't know and so I'm just where I am now and so I'll continue podcasting and sharing where I am in this journey just as you guys are we're all in this together that is why we started betrayal trauma recovery group so that you could have an instant community of women who totally understand it we have multiple sessions a day in every single time zone up to, I think it's like 24 sessions per week. So when you join, you get unlimited live sessions per week that you can attend. You can attend in your closet, in your garage, wherever you need to, to get the help that you need. We do recommend that the first time you join, you do it from like a desktop or a laptop so that it's just a little bit easier. And once you know what you're doing, then you can join on your phone. We'd love to see you in a session today. So many members love Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, and they also realize that they want a little bit more time to process their own individual situation. Depending on how many women are in groups, sometimes they'll have you know two minutes to share, sometimes they'll have six minutes to share, sometimes they'll have 10 minutes to share. It just depends on how many women show up in group. So a lot of women realize, man, that six minutes I was able to share and get feedback was really helpful. It would be amazing to be able to get 50 minutes of that. So they schedule an individual session with one of our coaches. If women are dealing with crime, sexual assault, perhaps uh, physical violence that they can report, we do recommend that you schedule an individual session with coach Renee to help you navigate your local resources, like your local domestic violence shelter, perhaps reporting to your local police department, because that in and of itself is really hard. And there are some very tricky things that can happen you need support if you're going to go that route or consider doing that. Thank you to those of you who have rated the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps. Your ratings help isolated women find us and they bump us up in the algorithm and it really helps. Podcasts live or die by their ratings and by their reviews. I received a five-star review the other day. She said, lifesaver for me and my child. I don't know what I would do without this podcast. I look to it for guidance, support, and understanding. BTR seems to really know what is going on and doesn't take BS from anyone. After living with my ex's pornography, abuse, and sex addiction for eight years, I finally found a safe place that can empathize and explain all of the madness I have been living. There is no podcast quite like it. Keep doing what you are doing, BTR, and thank you. So if you haven't already and you're so inclined, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Women are out there searching for information, and 
you and I both know that information about how to have better sex or how to communicate better or how to be a better wife or whatever does not work. And also so much of the pornography addiction recovery stuff just leads women down the wrong road when they're in an abuse situation. So please help us get the word out so that no woman has to go through the years of pain and chaos that we've had to. So Tiffany Barnes has come back to continue her conversation today. I'm so grateful for Tiffany and all her hard work. If you haven't heard last week's episode where Tiffany talks about her childhood story, listen to that first and then join us here. Okay, now for our conversation. When I was on your podcast, you talked about the fact that he was using pornography, but you didn't really see that as an abuse issue. Can you talk about that here? Yeah, absolutely. So he was a photographer. That's what he always wanted to do. It was a hobby, but turned into to more where he was pursuing it professionally. And he would have like Giselle Boonchin, the Victoria's Secret model, and some of the other Victoria's Secret models. He was always looking at pictures of them or he had books, like coffee table books of them in scantily clad clothes and bikinis and things and I thought well he's a photographer he admires beautiful photos there was a Sante Durazio book he had of like you know women that just had underwear on or they're naked and you see everything and I didn't think much of it but hindsight as you say now I'm like okay <laughs> he was doing this stuff right in front of me all along and it escalated to a point that we had the computer in the bedroom you know because we had, it was tight quarters being in that basement apartment and then sharing with his friend that was living in the other side of the basement. He would look up these photos online and he started looking at them right before we'd go to bed. And then he'd want to get into bed and, and do something. Or, you know, sexually is what I mean by do something. And like, you're not going to get your rocks off by visually stimulating yourself, you know, looking at these naked women of these supermodels or just women you think are gorgeous. And then come get into bed with me. I would say things like that. And he'd make me feel like I was a complete idiot. That I was making stuff up. He just was, you know, he tried to make me feel like I was being crazy. And I did. I felt like I questioned it a few times. Am I crazy? Is this just me being ultra paranoid or something? You know, that's something that happened regularly. Was he would get on his computer well, our computer, I would look at stuff like that. Now that I'm thinking of it, I was one of his subjects. He would love to take pictures of me just out and about every day. You know, I was very skinny and slender at the time, and I was modeling on the side here and there. But then, of course, uh, behind closed doors, he'd want me to take photos like he was looking at online. And you didn't recognize this as abuse at the time. How did you end up leaving that relationship. Did you recognize it was abuse while you were in it and even getting out? Or did you have to be out of it for a while to recognize, whoa, that was abusive? So when we were in it, I started to get more vocal about it and say, this doesn't make me feel right. You know, this shouldn't be happening. Why do you have to go do that before you get into bed with me and, and things like that? And then we get into these big blow up fights. Like I say, he'd make me feel crazy. And we were together four or five years I was like you know hey I would ask about the marriage subject do you think we're ever going to get married not hey are you, when are you going to propose to me like hey do you think we're ever going to get married because nobody wants to waste their time obviously and we're this far in and anytime I would mention that m-word marriage he would freak out 
would cause a huge disturbance in our relationship and we would fight and it became something that I walked on eggshells and dared never to ask it again. To answer your question, I had this little epiphany where I'm like, you know, if he doesn't know by now that I'm somebody he could marry and I can't even talk about it, then I'm wasting my time, <laughs> you know? And so I kind of started hinting. I started sleeping on the couch the last six months of our relationship. I slept on the couch and I would say to him, you know, if you keep treating me like this, I'm going to leave. And if you keep treating me like this, I'm going to leave. I don't think he believed me. And I went apartment looking on the side and found an apartment, signed a lease, didn't know how in the world I was going to make it work financially, but did it anyway and moved out one day while he was at work and never let him know where I went. He called me and was like, where the heck are you and what are you doing? And I mentioned the marriage thing. If you don't know you're going to marry me, we can't even talk about it. What's the point? And he's like, well, just come back and I'll propose to you on a mountain in Paris or blah, blah, you know, just somewhere in Europe. And I'm like, it's too late, you know. And so then he tried to use his manipulation of giving me the things he knew I always wanted and withheld from me to push buttons. Yeah. So after, let's call it a lifetime of experiencing abuse, what have you learned about abuse that you think would be important for women who are currently in emotionally and psychologically abusive relationships? Now, I say that because the bulk of women who listen to my podcast are not being physically abused. They are being sexually abused because they're experiencing sexual coercion where they have boundaries for their sexual relationship that they want respected and those boundaries are not being respected right so they they say to their spouse or boyfriend hey i don't want porn i don't want you to cheat on me and he's lying and so he's not getting their consent right so they're a victim of sexual coercion sexual abuse emotional and psychological abuse but most of them have not been like punched in the face or shoved because that makes it pretty obvious pretty quickly for women who listen to this podcast, what do you think are would be important things to point out with your experience with your nonprofit and a lifetime of abuse? That's an excellent question, by the way. The first thing that comes to my mind is intuition slash gut. There were so many times, going back even to when I was six, I knew something wasn't right. I didn't know it was specifically the word abuse, but I knew something wasn't right. My stepfather was doing the things he did when Danny would come to bed and do the things he did and the way I felt I knew it wasn't right listening to my gut was was huge and it's something I should have done sooner and and a huge piece of advice I would leave your listeners with is you feel a certain way you're feeling that way for a reason I know that that's kind of vague but listen to your intuition if something in your brain is saying this just doesn't seem right or doesn't make me feel right or you know, um, a plethora of various things, but along those lines, then it's probably not right. But in addition to that, um, I think the biggest thing is there were many times I didn't say something in fear of another abuse happening, whether it was the beating or the emotional or the mental or whatever. So saying something. And when I say say something, and this is something I say tremendously in my nonprofit over and over and over, 
see something, say something. If you don't say something, nothing can be done. We know this about the reporting of abuse, the prosecuting of abuse, specifically with mental and emotional abuse. There's no scars to prove anything. So, you know, it's just kind of word against word. And, you know, reach out to somebody you trust. For me, at a time, I trusted nobody other than a binded book that had the word journal written on the front of it. <laughs> so my journal, if that's what you got to do, write something in a journal, get it out, and then see how that felt, and then be able to move forward to talking to an actual person about it. But I know the hardest step in anything is it's the start that stops you. It's that first step of, oh my gosh, I'm afraid to say something because who knows what he's going to do. If you can take that first step and you realize, okay, I'm strong. I did that. How'd that feel? And then you take the next and then the next. Then you've got a momentum going to build yourself back up to healing. Yeah, we have a checklist on our website. It's btr.org backslash checklist that gives women a starting place. And I love what you said that, that like that start is the hardest thing. And the, the first thing is the same thing you just said is open up to a safe person. And that checklist helps women recognize who is safe and who is not safe. So that like it gives specific things that an unsafe person might say, for example, so that they can be like, okay, that wasn't a safe person. I need to move on to get support. Yeah, I love that. I think it's, it's big, you know, it's big in the healing transformation, but also just like standing in your power because you feel so powerless when all of this happens. Standing in your power and saying, okay, I'm going to say something because I just can't do this anymore. And it mentally gets you down. I mean, here I am at 38 years old. The last abuse I experienced was what, 21, 20, so 18 years ago. And I'm not here to discourage the listeners, but I'm still a work in progress. You know, I'm still doing things on a daily basis to remind myself that I am worthy, that I am beautiful, that I am strong. You know, all the things that you don't believe when you're mentally beaten down and emotionally beaten down. I'm proud of you for all the amazing things that you've accomplished in the face of abuse. And can you talk about that, like goals that you've set for yourself and the way that you have built your life post-abuse to create the life that you now have, that you feel peace and feel happiness? I do need to say a disclaimer here that when you do not have children with your abuser, moving on and building the life that you want is much easier, right? Than if you're connected in some way. So the fact that you don't have children with your abuser is a blessing in this case. But can you talk about how you've built a life of safety and peace now? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing is my support, meaning the people I allow around me, whether that be intermediate, you know, very personally close or that third bubble layer. I've really learned to value myself in a way that I am careful who I let in. And of course, that does come from a, a history of abuse. But what I mean by that is I'm just at a point in my life, and it doesn't matter if I was 21 or I was 72, like everybody should have this in their life, they deserve it, that I just don't need to be around people that don't believe in me and are there to pick me apart. And I'm talking, I even have 
cousins and aunts and uncles that might not be a huge believer in me because of the emancipation that I did against my parents. That's hard, but really to get me to where I am today, I just realized that, I don't know, resilience is the first thing that comes to my mind, is I've been resilient to all those other things. I can literally go through anything now and, and overcome it. And it's a belief that sometimes wavers, right? Everybody's human. But I have to remind myself that I am resilient. And, and the way I do that is I believe in meditation. I used to think it was a very esoteric, woo-woo thing once upon a time. Uh, probably five years ago, if I would have had this conversation with you, it wouldn't have even like come out of my mouth, the word meditation. I've really embraced it in the last five years or so, whether that be meditation for you might be praying Meditation for you might be sitting in a quiet room listening to your thoughts or trying not to listen to your thoughts. Meditation to you might be staring at a landscape and listening to birds. You know, meditation can be different for everyone. But I bring that up because it's really important to be comfortable with yourself and to listen to the thoughts that might come into your head, but not necessarily give them a ton of credit because sometimes our mind tries to confuse us or our mind tries to remind us of, oh, but remember, you were not worth it back then. You've got to remind yourself, yes, I am because I've grown and I've made the steps and I'm doing the, the things I need to do. So meditation is huge. And then for me also is positive affirmations. If you were to come step into my house, you can't go into one room of my house, including the bathroom, that there's not a positive affirmation, whether it's me writing a post-it note on the mirror or something on the wall hanging up. You know, I have a daily affirmation calendar that I change every day and it's a new affirmation. I think kind of rewiring your thoughts and your beliefs about yourself through positive affirmations really help. People used to make fun of it, you know, that Saturday Night Live skit where the guy would talk to himself in the mirror and be like, gosh dang it, I'm special and everybody loves me. But it's true. That stuff works. Negative self-talk is not going to get you anywhere. The positive self-talk and then visualizing it and seeing it in front of your face as well gets you so far and it's helped me tremendously. Now as far as goals, obviously I'm still running share. As a matter of fact, we're doing a Thanksgiving dinner for a family up in Bountiful next week that's been through some tremendous domestic violence and so my goal is to have share be a global initiative in the long term not just something that is happening here in Utah because that's my reach as of now I want it to be a national initiative that's recognized everywhere in every state and then a global initiative because abuse in any form is an epidemic and the statistics aren't getting any better specifically right now during covid you know when people are trapped in their homes with their perpetrators mm -hmm. yeah many of the women who listen to this podcast are in a relationship with an emotional and psychological abuser a man who uses sexual coercion 
And they fear getting out of the relationship because they feel like I need to stay in the relationship because it's better for the children if I do that. Being a victim of childhood abuse from your parents, what would you say to that for women victims who are feeling like getting out is too hard, I need to stay in, and plus it's better for the kids? So getting out, if a woman says getting out is too hard, she's talking about, I would say, herself, and not in a selfish way, but it's hard for her because she's going to have to be a single mother. She's going to have to do this on her own. Maybe she'll feel she has no support, whatever the case may be. But you've got to look at it this way. By staying, you're affecting all of these kids' lives in not a positive way because they're now going to be exposed to it in some capacity. Whether it's you're not being able to give your 100% as a mother because you're dealing with this abuse in the home or they're seeing the abuse take place in the home. Not necessarily physical. They can see it emotional. I just had a podcast this morning where a lady was talking about emotional abuse and how much it affected her seeing her mother and her father do that to each other. So I would say, you know, think long term. I know that's hard to do in the moment and feeling that you can't do it, whether it be financially or support-wise or safety-wise or whatever the case may be. But if you don't do something now, it's going to have a trickle effect even greater on your children than if you were to leave. And I don't say that to like make them feel guilty or bad, but that's the truth of the matter from somebody who's been there. If my mother had, when I you know, said, hey, this is what Robert's doing to me, would have taken my side. She would have said, you know, okay, this is absolutely crazy. I'm protecting you as my daughter and Robert, you need to leave. Then Tristina, my little sister, who's nine years younger than me, would not have had to deal with the abuse she went through, if that makes any sense. So she st- if she would have stopped it with me, it was only one statistic instead of my sister and we suspect even my brother because my stepfather was molested by his father so just try to keep in mind that it's going to be so much easier on the other side to look back and say oh I can't believe I went through that than to be in it I get that but think of those kids absolutely I think there's one thing that we do need to acknowledge here and that is that divorce doesn't solve abuse so if you get divorced and you are out of it, but your ex is still engaging in abusive behaviors and you share custody, then there's still going to be abuse happening. So even though you're protecting your kids more than if your abuser lived in your home, if you're required by law, which most everybody is, to send your children with your abusive ex, maybe you have 50-50 custody, maybe you have sole custody, whatever it is, he will still have access to those children. So divorce is not the answer. It doesn't solve abuse, but it is a way to start stepping out of it in some cases, in most cases. So I want to caution everyone from thinking, okay, the solution is divorce. Because even when you divorce, or even if you divorce, if you share children, that abuse is still ongoing, both to you and your children. And that that's what makes the situation so difficult for victims is that with the court systems the way they are and with the situations they are with custody, you can't just completely 
walk away from the abuse. Yeah, I didn't really think of that. I mean, I don't have children of my own. I'll have to say that. So take, you know, um, what I'm saying with that grain of salt. Other than I have raised my siblings, I ended up taking them out of foster care and raising them. But it's not the same. I didn't even think of that aspect. It is such a tricky place to be in. It comes down to having confidence in yourself and having that strength. But then again, it's where does it come from when you're getting beaten down every day? Mm -hmm. And I do think victims are stronger the more they can get away from the abuse and divorce facilitates that. So even if their abuser is still engaging in abusive behaviors, if they have separated themselves as much as possible from the harm, they're going to get stronger. They're going to live a more healthy, emotional life, physical life. They're going to feel better, even if the abuse is still sort of this thing that's hanging over them and their children, possibly for the rest of their lives, at least you're providing some type of barrier, which you wouldn't have otherwise. I just want to say probably the phrase I've already used here is it's the start that stops you. So I challenge everyone that listens to take that first step, whatever that first step looks like for you, whether it's again journaling or um, taking the time to sit in peace with yourself and meditate or reaching out to somebody that you feel is safe. Continue to listen to this podcast. It's a tremendous resource for you ladies out there that have gone through this and just keep tuning in and hearing these stories that will help you and, and what Anne has to offer. And that's awesome. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for coming on today's episode. Thank you. Thank you to so many of you who have purchased Trauma Mama Husband Drama. It's a picture book for adults that I wrote to really help synthesize this situation for people in a really simple way because it seems so complex, but it's actually pretty simple when you start looking at it as an abuse situation. So if you haven't purchased the book yet, go to our website, btr.org backslash books. You can find all of the books that we've curated for you there. If you click on any book, it'll take you right to Amazon and you can stick it in your cart. If you do purchase it on Amazon, please give it a five-star rating and a review. Again, when women are searching for books or you know, maybe on pornography addiction or maybe on how to improve their marriage, if trauma mama husband drama can come up, even if they don't purchase the book, they can find the podcast from there. So it really helps women get the information that they need. Thank you to those of you who have done that. If this podcast is helpful to you, consider supporting it. Go to the website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.